Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. And good morning, it is John Paul McNamara in for Patricia Messenger right through until one today. Our lines are open. Bernie and Sadie takes your calls to 1850-333-103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email this morning jp at c103.ie or indeed tweet us at c103cork. Ahead on the show, we will be discussing the very latest on COVID-19. Uh, how as a country are we now dealing with this still considering we've had the highest amount of deaths yesterday uh, from COVID-19, 41 people uh, died uh, because of the particular virus and our sympathies to all those uh, and their families at this particular time. But Dr Nick Flynn will join us shortly if you have any questions about the particular virus or uh, people are asking us about conditions that should they see their GP, should they not see their GP. Everybody's advised to make contact, first of all, by phone. But if you have a particular question, get it into us and we'll ask Dr Nick shortly. Uh, he'll join us in under 10 minutes. Also, how local funeral directors, uh, they're dealing with COVID-19 in a very different way when it comes to the burial of loved ones. But they're asking people to show respect when maybe, for example, if you were on a street or on a road driving or just maybe outside your own home, depending on your circumstance. Uh, this is something that is that always has been done, but maybe more so now that when you do see a hearse passing, they're just asking people to show respect, to maybe bless yourself or nod or, or show some sign uh, that you respect uh, the particular hearse passing you. Because what's happening, as we know, is funerals are now being carried out in a very, very different way. So we're going to hear and speak, even though I know we touched on this uh, two or three weeks ago on the show. This is just from a local funeral director's point of view uh, and how they themselves are dealing uh, with the situation. We're also going to speak with the Health and Safety Authority because they are asking farmers to be mindful of health and safety in particular with regards to children as more children of course are off school uh, they remain on the farmyard the weather is good uh, likelihood is that they're going to start exploring around the farm and they're just advising farmers now more than ever to be extra careful with more and more children around uh, the farm maybe even not your own maybe you'll have people walking uh, on fields 
and they just end up into your farmyard. They're doing their 2K walk and more people are exploring now. And unfortunately, they may end up on your land. And just for everybody to be mindful of that, we'll be speaking to the Health and Safety Authority later in the programme. And we're also going to hear from the group Cork Folklore because they want people to document their daily lives during the coronavirus. And this is something that we have heard stories passed down from generations to generations on different things that have happened in our country history-wise over the last uh, 60, 70, 80, up to 100 years. And you'll uh, be familiar with TV shows and even radio shows like Around Round, Around the Fireside with Jimmy Reedy, whereby people tell stories from bygone days. But who will tell the story of what's happening now uh, in years to come, in 30, 40 or 50 years to come. So what the Cork Folklore Group are asking people to do is to document it down in a particular diary, how an ordinary person, how you live your life, how things have changed for you with the restrictions and the way that we now live our lives when we look at social distancing, when we go shopping, how that has changed, to document all of this because we can, and people are putting items up on social media but they only last for a while. They'll last as long as those platforms are there. They'll last for a year or two until people can't find them on their particular feeds anymore. So with that in mind, we'll speak to them and, and what exactly uh, they're looking for people to do later in the show. And our gardening slot with Peter, it will be along after 12.30. The Irish gardener, Peter Doddle. A lot of people out in the garden, a lot of people working on their gardens, trying to make it look better. If you uh, are maybe working from home, your lunch break or your hour out could be spent in the garden working on that so uh, Peter will be along any questions you have get them into us right now you can do that on 1850 and a lot more to come between now and one we've a lot of emails into the show a lot of postcards as well and thank you to those who are sending the unpost postcards that were sent out over the last few weeks we're getting a lot of those uh, so we'll bring you those as well across the programme but just want to catch up on a lot of comments that came in yesterday uh, especially in the last hour of the programme when we were discussing first of all people who were questioning what was happening with the restrictions and then uh, we were speaking about the beef industry and the price of beef just to bring you some of those comments first of all uh, on the restrictions and Stephen is asking about the flights coming in and out of the country and we discussed that at length yesterday but he feels that some guards are on power trips with all of this going on. He says we are in a police state and we have the HSC and this is the same organisation that, that has failed us before, uh, feels Stephen. Uh, while another person bringing up the situation of the police state says two metres social distancing yet when you look at Gardy in the car there is two or three of them inside it. What's the answer? If you just meet a guard a car and there's two inside why are they not doing what they are telling everybody else to do? Well on those matters we have checked that out and I'm sure if anybody's watching that good TV show it airs Tuesday and Thursday nights on RTE at 7 o'clock it's called Ireland's On Call and they do speak to the various services on what they are doing and one of those was the emergency services and it was those paramedics fire service and indeed the Gardaí while they all try and do social distance there is circumstances whereby physically when there's an emergency you might have the option you might have the situation whereby there is two guards sitting 
one in the passenger seat, one in the driver's seat, and people will say that's not exactly two metres apart. But as they say, they'll be working with the same person uh, for the duration. They know who that person is. They're working together. Their fear is bringing that back to their families and they're one of the essential staff. So they've made it very clear uh, while people are on about a police state, uh, these are the restrictions that are in place and they're there for a reason. They're not there to be uh, preventing people from going to A to B. They're there to stop the spread of the virus. And if they don't stop the spread of the virus, those numbers we had yesterday could be a lot higher than just 41 deaths. Um, people uh, and the text coming in and people asking why are we becoming a police state? No, that's probably the wrong way to call it uh, by people texting in, but it is the situation. They are the restrictions. Every country across the world is doing this and they're doing it for the good of the people uh, because you, sure, you and others don't want to pick up the virus. And because this is such a contagious virus, the last thing you want, maybe it might not affect you, but who's to say that you might not pass it on to somebody else and that person could end up seriously ill. So that is why the Guardian are out. That is why the restrictions are in place and that is why all of this is happening. Uh, just some of your comments in yesterday on that particular issue. On the beef situation, uh, Texter here, this is Michael who says, I'm listening to Helen on the beef industry yesterday. And she is so right that our food supply is crucial at this time. This has been so clearly demonstrated in the last few months since COVID-19. If prices continue like this, we won't have food for our people. The meat factories need to pull together on this and put on the green jersey like everybody else is doing. Well, on that, I know yesterday Helen was speaking to us and she did mention that ABP uh, were and had uh, been dealing with Polish beef. So ABP, we did make contact with them and they did get in contact with us and they have issued a statement on what Helen was saying yesterday and this is the statement from ABP. They say that ABP does not import any beef product into Ireland. ABP's supply of a small quantity of Polish beef to the UK retail market was always intended to be a temporary measure which has since ceased and was as a result of the unprecedented demands caused by the COVID-19 crisis. Furthermore, the Polish beef supplied was supplementary to and not in replacement of beef supplied by Irish and UK farmers. That statement uh, this morning coming to us from ABP uh, on the comments yesterday on the show regarding uh, Polish beef in this country and something else that is ongoing at the moment and this is talks to form a government and it seems now uh, that Antishat Leif Radker will be forced to call up to, it seems, seven Fianna Gael ministers as part of his deal to form a government with Fianna Fáil. It's a historic coalition if this actually does go ahead. And in today's Irish Independent, uh, they are looking at a number of those well-known ministers and TDs. And Mr. Varadkar's key allies, it seems, including Owen Murphy, Richard Bruton, Joe McHugh and Josephia Madigan. They all are facing a demotion under this new particular deal. It seems that Simon Coveney Pascal Donoghue and Heather Humphreys are expected to remain and end up in the new cabinet. Also, uh, within that particular article in The Independent, it seems uh, some senior Fine Gael sources, uh, the likes of uh, Owen Murphy, uh, Michael Creed, of course, Minister for Agriculture from McCroom, and even Richard Bruton, that they have all privately cast doubt over whether Fine Gael should end the civil war divide and enter an arrangement with Fianna Fáil. How do you view that? I mean, if a lot of uh, green, uh, grassroots supporters seemingly are unhappy as well 
with this particular decision for those two parties to join up, both uh, grassroots supporters in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Your view on that? Uh, would you be happy to see both of those particular two parties just coming together and to have a solid government throughout everything that is going on at the moment, especially with COVID-19? Your view, I mean, it is historic. If these two parties, which have been at loggerheads since the formation of the state, more or less, uh, and if they do decide to sit down, form a government with somebody else, it will be a very historic moment for Ireland Bush what do you make I mean is it right that some of those big names within Fine Gael have concerns along with the grassroots members your views are welcome on that 1850 333 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086 and also staying with TDs for the moment it seems that a number of TDs are looking for an allowance to work from home Now, you may say they're getting paid enough as it is. Well, a number of the TDs have raised the question of new allowances to allow them to purchase office equipment while they work from home during COVID-19. Sources say because something similar was given to MPs in the UK, uh, some TDs are questioning extra funding to pay for office equipment are laptops. Now, it is only a small number of TDs have raised this, uh, but still it has been raised. Your views on that, have they enough? What about all the other ordinary workers who are working from home? Maybe some have been given equipment from their workplace, uh, but they're still using their own services such as broadband and phone at home. Anyhow, your views are welcome on that. And the country's largest second level teachers union, uh, they have said, because a lot of people were questioning and giving out about this after the show yesterday when we mentioned it, uh, this was to do with uh, a statement that came out and it basically said that teachers would not work during the summer months to deal uh, with the leaving start exams. So the ASDI have come out now and says its members are willing to work over the summer months to help prepare the leaving start students for their exams because of that being postponed uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, the ASDI, of course, had been criticised by all uh, over yesterday and the day before when initially they came out saying no teacher will be required to do anything if the exams were rescheduled for July and August and basically said that they won't be forcing teachers to work during the summer. However, the union now has said it will work and support the government uh, through the postponement. I know we had a lot of people working the front line, uh, such as Gardi and nurses who didn't want to go on air and, and doctors as well, who were discussed it at that particular statement that came out earlier in the week. But now they are saying they will work with the government on this. So your views are welcome. 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Good morning to you. And a lot of people asking about paint supplies this morning. Uh, people still working on their homes with a fantastic looking houses. Uh, after all this is over, everybody working on their garden and their homes. But anyhow, uh, paint supplies, it seems though, are starting to dry up across the country as more and more people do turn to DIY. Uh, stocks in some hardware shops have run dry, but they are looking again at restocking. This is because of the high demands uh, before any uh, of the closures took place. And also, what's running low is flour. Flour is also in demand. It's running low on our shelves because more and more people are home baking. So there we are, flour and paint also running low in the stores because of the demand on both of those Uh, Dr Nick Flynn will join us very shortly uh, regarding the latest on COVID-19. Uh, if you have particular questions on that uh, get them into us 1850-333-103 I want to mention though uh, this is from Mary on text she says can you mention Albert Wilson from LEP who played music for the elderly residents of the residential care home in Skibbereen and he did that from a distance but he made a lot of people happy so well done Albert and that's coming in from Mary nice uh, story a nice uh, positive thing Albert you did there uh, for those particular group of residents in Skibbereen 1850 
0818-333-103. Our lines are open. Bernie and Sadie takes your calls. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We'll speak with Dr. Nick next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, let's get the latest on what is happening in relation to COVID-19. We'll check in as we usually do with Dr. Nick Flynn of mycorkgp.ie. Dr. Nick, good morning to you. Good morning, Jean-Paul. And thanks for joining us again. I suppose one thing that has been asked here from many listeners texting us over the last few days is something Leif Riker said last week and he said the darkest days are yet to come. That has got people worried and looking yesterday now at the latest figures and again respects to all the families of these loved ones, 41 people, the highest number of deaths we've had in this country so far from yesterday's figures. Yeah, I think that that's the, it's true to say that People need to be prepared that, that we're not at the peak or, or we're not at the surge of the crisis in Ireland at the moment. Um, and, and I think it's important that we hear from the Taoiseach and we hear from the Chief Medical Officer and the Minister for Health that we, while we are adhering as much as we can to the uh, measures in place, that the virus is still spreading. But people may have heard, uh, especially Simon Harris, talking about a reproductive number or the R number. And that basically means the R number is how many people an infected person infects. So while that number is one or more, the virus sustains itself in the community. And we are still, we don't know for sure, but we're still over one. We think it has improved and maybe approaching one, but we're not sure. And so there's, there's no room for complacency, really. And what did you make then of concerns regarding how some people were told they were negative when then it came out that they were weakly positive? They're saying it's an IT error here in Ireland, but it, that seems to be concerning people now as well at the moment. I mean, obviously it was an error and they say they've moved on from that now and they've rectified that. Yeah, I, I suppose it, 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 it was an error. It was concerning. Um, but it was really concerning um, is in the contact tracing of those people. So for, just to explain to the listeners again, there, there are two steps in, in the test process. There's the sampling step, and and this is where the swab is taken from the patient. And we've forty of those test centres around the country, and we've got lots of capacity or lots of ability to do the sampling. But where the problem has occurred is in the testing. That's the lab end. For example, after patient to patient is transferred to a lab, and we've had significant bottlenecks in the lab end, and so Irish capacity uh, at the lab side of us we're told is in around two to 3,000 tests a day at the moment and there was a backlog of 30,000 tests to be cleared. So they were outsourced to a German lab and as you can imagine with most things in, in, in medicine we, we don't always get a black and white test. It's not always as easy as measuring your height and your six foot and that's that. A lot of lab tests are positive clearly or negative clearly or there's a grey area in between sometimes and what seems to have happened with these particular tests that they were in the grey area, they were indeterminate, and in normal course of medical practice, they would be repeated. But in the course of a pandemic, it was it's more prudent to call them positive treatment as positive, treat the patient as positive, and contact trace them. Unfortunately, in the communication between, if it seems to have happened now, and in fairness, I think we haven't had complete clarity on it, but what seems to have happened is it was a communication uh, error between the German lab and the uh, and the, and on the, our Irish side, and those tests were were, were interpreted on the Irish side as being uh, negative. And in fact, the prudent thing was to call them positive and to proceed accordingly.
Okay, so I suppose that does explain um, why that happened. Another concern, Nick, uh, that's coming in and, and that we have seen a lot and we spoke to Tyke Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland on this is nursing homes and the clusters within those nursing homes have asked for help uh, from the state regarding this and this is a concern. Nursing homes certainly, uh, by, by, by definition, somebody who has moved from the community to a nursing home is uh, a person who is normally elderly, quite often has no, a number of medical conditions established already, and who is sometimes frail, meaning that they can't look after their own uh, activities of daily living and they need, they need lots of support, be it with dressing or feeding or washing. So, so, so these patients are clearly already vulnerable, and in the setting for COVID-19, uh, in a nursing home, these patients are more vulnerable to becoming unwell and even, unfortunately, even to, 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 to dying from complications of COVID-19. It's very difficult, though, I think, in fairness to Nursing Home Ireland, they introduced early uh, restrictions on visitors, um, but like all sectors of the health service, staff have to go in and staff have to come out. Um, and uh, and in COVID-19, when we look at the statistics, that 66% of COVID-19 infections are now what they call community transmission. And just for the listeners, what this means is that there's no identifiable source or cause for the person who has been diagnosed to have it. So 27% are in contact with a known case and just 7% now are associated with travel. But it's important though that we kind of bear in mind that 66% of people who are diagnosed with COVID-19 don't have a known contact with a person who has COVID-19. And so in our own practice, we all treat each other as potential COVID-19 cases. We keep our two metres social distancing. We wash our hands. We're introducing a cotton face mask policy for staff this week. But unfortunately, in the nursing home setting, that's not possible. By the nature of the care that needs to be delivered, the the, the carers were fantastic and the nurses were equally fantastic. They have to get up close and personal to the patient. They can't maintain two metres distance. That's why the important in those settings mm. and there's been a, a national and international uh, difficulty with sourcing this equipment. It does show as well Nick the or how contagious the actual disease is and it warns people that it can spread very quickly either in the community but also if someone's in that particular nursing home setting. Yeah, no, it, 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 this virus is incredibly contagious and I think in fairness we're still learning about it now the majority of uh, infections are from droplet spread so that they're, they're respiratory droplets from uh, coughing and sneezing and that's why coughing I think is important but also hand washing because uh, these droplets can be on our hands which we then transfer onto door handles uh, and then other people can pick them up from there so it it is very very uh, contagious it's also established now that people who are what we call pre-symptomatic so that means that people before they develop symptoms can spread the virus this is most likely in the two days before they become symptomatic but also that some people will have such a mild illness with COVID-19 that they won't have any symptoms and they also spread the virus. And that's why these um, uh, measures that have been asked to practice, uh, that the community is basically uh, in lockdown, that businesses are closed, that we're not meeting our friends and family, that the mind is going to any mass gatherings. That's why these are all so important. And it's also why it's so important that the personal uh, protective measures that we've been asked to carry out with the hand washing and the, and the, and the physical and social distancing are, are, 
and very importantly, that if you do have a problem, COVID-19 or non-COVID-19, please ring your GP. We want to hear from you. We are open and we are aware that we're not seeing the normal business that we normally see. So like, it's important that we still do our childhood vaccine, which is important that uh, the antenatal care proceeds. But it's also important that the, the person who's sitting at home with an ache in their belly or who maybe had an altered bowel motion or you know, who might have lost a little bit of weight, that they don't put this off. They, these, are, these are things that are vague in presentation, but that a consultation with your GP can help start the woods from the trees. Yeah, and we got a call yesterday about that actually from people who were concerned. I mean, the best thing to do was ring your GP first and then have a chat with either the secretary or the GP if you can, yeah. and they will decide then if you need to come in for yeah. further examination. Like, like lots of, like 90% of our, um, I suppose, diagnostic um, criteria are through history taking, are through the actual conversation we have with GPs. And then the final 10% is added through physical examination and tests. But we, but we would know, in a lot of cases, we, we would have a good feeling for where the patient is at and where the, where the care needs to go after the, the actual consultation element of it. So I think it's important that the patient still engage with us for consultations and where physical examinations and where tests are needed. We, we, we can arrange them for them. Um, and not to ignore that because... For sure, COVID-19 is causing a lot of difficulty at the moment, but equally delayed care because of COVID-19 is where we're going to see a second kind of uh, jump in the illness and mortality figures over the next 6 to 18 months. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, and one thing that is coming in here just when you speak about GPs and people going to their GPs, first of all, I have people saying we're becoming a, a too much of a police state uh, because of what Gardaí are doing. But you've covered that there by saying without those particular restrictions, we could spread uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus further uh, because, as you said, there is people out there who might not have the symptoms, but they could pass it on to someone then who's in a situation who could have a very different reaction to it. So th- that that's why we need the Gardaí out there. That's why we need the particular restrictions? No, absolutely and fully support the, the, the measures that have been taken and the powers that Gardaí have been given and coming back to what we mentioned at the start of the conversation the reproductive number or, this, this R number that we talked about even with all the measures that are in place that R number is not slow enough you know, mm. so even with the, the hopeful signs that we mentioned that GPs have been overrun, the hospitals have been overrun, the ICUs although they're getting busier, not yet been overrun even with all those positive signs That's a good analogy. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, on the doctor visits, uh, Jerry's son, uh, Jerry's been in contact. His son was on the way to the city for an urgent doctor's appointment when he was stopped at a checkpoint. As it was an over-the-phone appointment, he had no proof. Uh, so the guard that stopped him was hesitant to let him drive on. Now, should doctors be sending an email or a text to prove to people that they are attending appointments? Um, it's something that we can do, certainly. It's something that we have for our own staff. And it's something that has struck me when I've been stopped at checkpoints myself over the last uh, number of days and we, uh, is that the Gardaí and fairness are taking people, are taking me at, at my word that I'm, 
I've been there going to work or once or twice I've been going uh, to visit my mum with messages when she's cocooning. So, so like there are like there are systems that can be brought in for people, but I don't think we want to go there really. So, so there could be a system brought in where you get um, a certificate to allow you to go to the shop, where you get a certificate to allow you to go to the pharmacy or the doctor, or a certificate to allow you to go to, go to work, and, and that's another level of enforcement. You know, hopefully we don't need to do that, but certainly it's it's, it's a good point. And if anybody's having is having difficulty um, going to a doctor's appointment, there should be no problem proving that. Now, I want to talk to you, Nick, about something that is in the Irish Sun this morning. And we have heard this happening in other countries across the world. So it's no surprise it is happening here. And I think we mentioned this at the very start when the crisis began. And it's in the Irish Sun. It's saying how patients are being ranked by a whole point system to decide who gets into ICU during this pandemic. As I said, we've not... particularly a point system but we have heard other countries looking at this it doesn't though uh, pose too well for those who are older in age is that something that does have to happen though? Um, I, 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 I haven't seen the article but I, I don't think that there is a point system as such we, we do have in the community um, a screening tool that's called iNews and it's just it, it allows us to assess the patient and to decide how sick the patient might be, and it's kind of an objective or reproducible test that, 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 that's helpful. But when it comes to ICU to, uh, admission, and the ICU doctors have explained this very eloquently, that COVID or no COVID, they are every day of their working lives, they're making decisions about admission to ICU. And so somebody has a, a terrible car crash and a terrible injury, and intensive care treatment is unlikely to benefit them because intensive care is a tough place to be. The care is not easy and it takes a lot of toll on, on a person's body. So even without COVID, if somebody's got an illness or injuries that are unlikely to benefit from ICU, well then probably the, the humane and the kind thing to do is not to admit them to ICU. And those standards haven't changed and the narrative that I suppose we'll have to wait and see. No one knows what will happen over the next few weeks. I mean, as a country, Nick, looking at the figures that, that we are getting over the last while, are we doing well as a country? I know some sources are saying for our population we could do better, but how do you think we're managing? I, 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 again, I think that, that there are some hopeful signs in what we're doing. I think the percentage daily new cases has been that that, that graph is, is, is encouraging and that it's going down. Um, I think if you look at the mortality per 100 population that we have compared to other countries, 
countries, even compared to the UK, our, our, our mortality per 100 population is half of that. We have seven deaths per 100,000 population in Ireland at the moment. They have 15 deaths per 100,000 in the UK. That might be a combination of good policy and good luck. So, well, like, we cancelled St. Patrick's Day when the UK was still going ahead with, with, with Cheltenham. You know, we, we, we closed schools early. We introduced restrictions on mass gatherings early. Um, uh, so, so there is, so there's been, there has been good policy. You know, it could even have been earlier. Some people might might argue, but there has been good policy making. You know, and certainly, but also I think that if you look at um, our infrastructure, so if you look at our housing infrastructure for for 20 years, we've had discussion and debate about one-off housing and and urban sprawl, and we've also been uh, all listened to how poor our infrastructure is, our public transport, and ironically those things may now be providing some protection for us that, that we, we don't have in uh, population uh, locations so we don't have many big cities within our big cities there's not many high-rise apartments uh, and our public we don't have any high volume high density public transport to, to, to speak of really and although in normal times they are negative things in the current climate they may be protective for us but it's early days it's early days and I, I would say that that I wouldn't take any complacency or, or too much comfort from from what might be hopeful signs at the moment because this is going to be with us for months ahead um, and we don't know. It, it, it's, it's when we look back in two years' time or three years' time, that's when we can say we fought a, a good fight and we made good decisions. Everybody's doing their best at the moment, but it's not until afterwards that we can say, look, yeah, we did really well or, or we didn't. Yeah, and you mentioned there about how things could change. I mean, it was mentioned in, in the press conference as well last week how if we did and we're in lockdown or restricted for the next three weeks and the fear is if you slowly reduce the restrictions, the contagion of the virus may increase depending on how things go. When you look at countries like Spain initially who were badly infected, they're lifting the restrictions slowly now over this week and over the next number of weeks. And while social distancing will be with us for a long, long time, what do you make of countries who were lifting restrictions now I mean are they doing the right thing Is do we need to look at them and see how, how they get on what do you make of those in the continent and they, they were badly hit they were badly hit I, I think there's now a balance so there's, there's a number of crises but there's certainly a health crisis and an economic crisis and the health crisis has to be front and central at the start of the crisis but if we don't have regard for the economic consequences of what might happen down the line well then the knock-on effect from, you know, there being no funds to pay for care, for example, uh, for pay for chronic care, to pay for operations, to pay for tests. Those, those knock-on effects could actually cause um, illness and mortality as well. And if you look at the WHO, the WHO uh, at the weekend issued guidance, they should fix criteria for countries before they exit lockdown. And I'll just go to them quickly with you. And the first one is that transmission is controlled. The second one is that the health system would have capacity in place to detect and isolate cases to treat every case and treat every contact. The third would be the outbreaks being minimised in special settings, for example, in hospitals and nursing homes. The fourth was that preventive measures are in place in, in workplaces, schools and other places where it's essential for people to go. The fifth is that importation risk can be managed. And the sixth is that communities are fully educated, engaged and empowered to adjust to the new norm. And that's those six things are what we have to concentrate over the next three weeks or however long our own lockdown lasts and the other things we have to get right. And I would suggest that the 
those two criteria haven't been met in Spain and haven't been met in Italy yet. And, and so they might be they might be a little bit early on the easing of restrictions, although they're very difficult decisions. And certainly the economic damage, can da- the economic fallout can damage people's health uh, from a mental health point of view and from a physical health point of view. And so they're very difficult decisions to call correctly. Yeah, and what do you make when you mentioned the WHO there, the World Health Organization? Donald Trump, the President of, of the States, the United States, has basically said he's going to cut the funding uh, to the WHO because of what is happening. I mean, will, will that put them under more pressure now? Yeah, to be honest, I'm, I'm unsure with, 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 the, with the funding mechanisms of the WHO. Um, I, I, I presume that a lot of these organizations have current year funding, and what he's talking about is future, future funding, mm. and there's, there's a lot of room for change of mind in that and there's an election to come in the States. So I, 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 I don't familiar with WHO's funding mechanism, but, but I'm sure that they won't find themselves short of in this particular uh, situation, anyhow, yeah. yeah. Very finally, Nick, before I let you go, I have one WhatsApp in here from a person who wants to ask, her, her dad is cocooning at the moment. She lives 30 minutes away from him. Uh, she wants to know if she can still bring him his messages and perhaps dinner. And I think we all know the, the answer to this, but just from a health point of view, is it better for him if she stays outside the door and leaves everything at the door um, and is it when I travel the journey should I feel when I get to his house I feel I should go in um, but I am unsure I, I think we know the answer to this Nick but just from a health point of view there So so the first thing is it, it's important that she does travel with the messages and that her dad doesn't have to go out and I think in particularly in rural areas it's more difficult for, for maybe the uh, the shops are doing less delivery services I think in the, in the towns and the cities there's daily delivery services from a lot of shops so it's important that she keeps that up it's important that if, if, if she's cooking meals that she keeps that up but it's also important in, in my opinion my interpretation of the cocooning um, guidance is that she shouldn't go in um, you know you risk what they call fomite transmission so you risk that the virus is on your hands you, you, you touch the, 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 the door handle you touch the banister of the stairs you touch the you know various different things that you might touch that you could then trans- transfer transfer the virus in. It's low risk, but it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, stay and have a chat with your dad through the window. Like what I've done, again, with my own mother. Is, I, I've had a chat with her from the garden for 10 minutes and dropping off messages and it was done. But I wouldn't risk going in. Now, I perceive myself to be a little bit of a higher risk than somebody in the public because I'm in a healthcare job. But still, I, I, I think it's... When, when people are going to the the trouble and taking the, 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 the I suppose the, the pain the difficulty of cocooning it is very difficult um, it would be a shame to, to, to break that barrier for five minutes in the house that you could really do outside as well I mean even if she was to bring her her, 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 her own uh, takeaway coffee and, and talk to her dad through the window it's 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 not normal business but it, it, you still have to have a coffee you still get to have a cup of tea a cup of coffee and a chat and, and it's still that human connection, but it can't be a physical connection, and it should be as from as far as possible. And everything we do should be about reducing risk of transmission of the virus to our elderly and our vulnerable patients. And in risk mitigation, you have to make the right decisions at, at, at every hand turn. And, and my advice would be not to physically enter the house. 
you know, I think that that would be the, the most sensible thing at the moment, just in case, as you mentioned earlier, if somebody may have some symptom of it and pass it on to someone and they can have a different reaction. For the moment, Dr. Nick, thank you for that advice. You. And I'm sure we'll touch uh, base again soon. That is Dr. Nick Flynn there from mycorkgp.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And I mentioned there regarding a number of TDs who raised the question of new allowances to allow them purchase office equipment while they work from home during the COVID-19 outbreak. Well, a lot of people are unhappy with this and a lot of people are working from home. Uh, maybe they've got some equipment from their workplace. Majority private employers have done this. Uh, some though haven't. They're using their own equipment and most of us uh, that are working from home are using our own broadbands and phone lines etc but uh, TDEs want some type of allowance and with that in mind a lot of people are saying it's outrageous. John says that statement by the TDEs just goes to show the greed as they don't work for anyone only themselves uh, says John who says stay safe. You too John. And Tim and Yol says, with regards to those TDs being paid to work from home, this is absolutely disgraceful. They are being paid more than enough with their exorbitant salaries and God knows the untouched expenses they are in receipt of. Those TDs should be named and shamed, says Tim and Yol. More of those comments after 11 plus. We are going to be hearing why farmers are being encouraged to be mindful of health and safety, in particular regarding children on the farm. School is out, so a lot of children on the farm. And because of that, health and safety on farm yards is being asked to look be looked at more so now than ever before. We're going to hear how local funeral directors are dealing uh, with COVID-19 and they're asking people to show respect uh, when they see maybe a hearse passing in a village or town and also why a Cork folklore group are looking for people to document everything that's happening during this time along with a lot more of your calls and comments. And if you are like so many people out attending to the garden, well Peter Dodal will be along after 12.30 answering all your gardening questions. You can get them into us right now on 1850 or text or WhatsApp 0862 or you can email jp at c103.ie Peter along after 12.30 same numbers for your comments which are coming in and first of all this is on something we mentioned uh, before 11 o'clock uh, before news and it's on a number of TDs raising the question of new allowances as they work from home so they can work in their own home place and look and buy office equipment. Now a lot of people are doing this as it is and some might be lucky enough to have your employer give you maybe a laptop or something if you're working from home but not everybody is doing that. A lot of people are using their own laptops, uh, their own, obviously we're all using our own broadband and and that type of thing Uh, but some people are, are getting something from their employers but some aren't. So with that in mind when we mentioned this we got a lot of calls as you heard a few of them before 11 o'clock. Here's more on that and why people are annoyed that uh, government TDs are looking for an allowance to work from home so they can purchase office equipment. First of all, uh, this texter says, so a few fat cat TDs want a home expense allowance. If this cohort of silver servants achieved this quest, well then, 
what will happen. They'll have opened a mighty can of worms. You'll have other workers within the public service, such as school teachers, council office staff and other civil servant staff that will request the same. Private sector, it's new work at home now for people and they're not getting a lot of stuff. They have to improvise, whereas the public sector, again, uh, want us to pay for it. Uh, while Jude thinks this is totally wrong, so many people are working from home so they will social distance and they will stop the spread of the virus within their offices. Uh, yet there are some out there and unfortunately they are in our government who want to make money out of this situation. They get paid enough spend what you're paid if you need to get office equipment uh, says Jude on text to 0862103103 and staying with the government and government formation which we spoke about we know now uh, that Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil have discussed the possibility of forming a historic collision for the country. This will be a coalition, even it could be a collision too. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But the coalition uh, that could, if it does happen, will be historic. Uh, talks are ongoing and they do need, some are saying the Greens, maybe a few independents to complete this particular uh, situation for them. But on that, people are asking what's happening with another party who got a large amount of the vote. I think it was around 25% of the vote uh, and that is Sinn Féin. John thinks Sinn Féin should be brought in as a third party or else go back to the people for a new vote says John. While Mary in Donrell wants to know what has happened to Sinn Féin. They did get a lot of the votes but are getting no mention uh, and have they any chance of getting a place in this particular cabinet? Well as Sinn Féin did get a lot of votes the only thing was not enough to form a government and with that in mind then uh, nobody wanted to form a government with them. So Fine Gael said they would not go into government with Sinn Féin. Fine Fáil, even though they did mute the uh, idea and they did talk about it, their grassroots came out and that in the end uh, Fine Fáil came out saying no, they would not go into government with Sinn Féin. And then other parties came out saying the same. So even though there was some people willing to work with Sinn Féin, others weren't and they need more to enter talks. They were talking to independents as well, but they had the numbers to form the government. So now this is why we're in this situation whereby you have Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil who are in talks and talks are ongoing and we'll have to wait and see what happens or who will join them to form this new government and a lot of people feel we need a government now as we're dealing with COVID-19 on teachers and this is a statement that came out saying teachers are willing to work with the Department of Education and are willing to work over the summer the reason there was a lot of uproar over this was because teachers a statement earlier in the week from a teachers union saying that teachers will not be forced to work during the summer months. This is when teachers would basically be uh, called into the classrooms and to teach the Leaving Star students for two weeks or so uh, just to get people back on track ahead of a Leaving Star that will now look likely anyhow now to take place in late July at the start of August. Anyhow, when that initially was mentioned, people were up in arms, especially those within the public service who are working so hard at the moment, the emergency staff, the doctors, nurses, guardie, uh, fire crews, all working extremely hard. And then when this statement was made earlier in the week, even though not all teachers supported the statement, it still came out and people felt that it was unfair considering that everybody's pulling their weight and that teachers, uh, some sector of them, said that they were not going to be forced into working during the summer months. Now that has changed today. ASDI and other unions have come out saying they will support whatever needs to be done and teachers will go back into the classroom. But on this, uh, still getting comments on that particular issue. First of all, this is from a mum 
of a pupil who is attending a secondary school and she says teachers don't want to work over the summer and help the pupils doing their leaving search. Well, if that's the case, stop paying the teachers as of now. They won't long change their minds. It's their job. So cop themselves on and do the job. They're getting very well paid to do it. And that's coming in from a ma'am of a pupil who's attending a secondary school. And on the hospitals, and speaking to, to uh, Dr Nick there before uh, News at 11 and speaking about the hospitals and the ICU capacity, uh, one person asking, first of all, surgeries are postponed until after the virus, the, the, the majority of them are, but yet uh, Meg feels that some need doing because some problems are becoming worse. So what's going to happen with that particular situation? And another text, texter asking, uh, what's happening with all the people that used to attend A and E? After five weeks, you would think people would need to go. Or is it the case that a lot of people didn't need to be there in the first place? Well, that would appear the case because, yes, people did stay away for the first few weeks of the pandemic. And nurses and doctors came out saying that people are in need to go and see their GP, ring your GP. And if you do need to attend the hospital and end up in A&E, well, your GP then will make that call. But for people not to be suffering at home. So the first few weeks we did see a huge reductions in people attending A&E. It was up 12% last week. But on that, it would seem from speaking to people in the medical profession and hearing doctors on various shows speaking about this, and even Dr Nick, I think, when I mentioned this at the very, very start as well, a lot of people, and this was always said over the last number of years, a lot of people were going to A&E themselves and they had no reason to be there. And that was always spoken about of people going into A&E that did not need to attend A&E. I wonder another issue was people at weekends, Friday and Saturday nights, uh, after maybe coming out of a bar or nightclub, something would happen on the street, or maybe they had drank too much alcohol, a lot of it maybe consumed at home, and then they brought that into the particular club or bar, and they would have consumed more alcohol in that particular bar. Because clubs and bars are closed, I'm pretty sure, I know people can still go to the off-licence and and, and buy their drink and have their drink at home, but I'm pretty sure because the bars and clubs are closed, that is having a reduction as well on people attending A&Es, especially in city centres, because a lot of that was people who may have started a fight at two or three o'clock in the morning in a city centre and ended up needing treatment from a hospital or may have drank too much. So I know people are still drinking, but because you're not going to clubs and pubs, that would have seen a reduction as well. So yeah, a lot of people there were wasting time and a lot of people did not need to be there in the first place. And on the issue then of COVID-19 and social distancing, first of all, this coming in from a text, I no name in this, but saying that uh, this person lives in a quite scenic part of Ross Carberry and they know of people passing their homes for the last number of weeks. But all these people are from outside the two kilometre radius because they don't know any of them. It's not fair on the local residents as people have dogs running wild on no leads with the walkers. People have no respect and people are not taking the virus seriously enough. It's coming in of oh, Mary, actually. Thank you, Mary, for putting your name in your text. Mary is very annoyed at this. Uh, because she has indeed been told that uh, how well, you heard Dr Nick say it first hand there earlier on in the show how easy it is for the virus to be spread and while some people may not be displaying symptoms they may have it and then pass it on to somebody else who will have a different reaction and get very very ill and could end up hopefully not but they could end up in one of those ICU beds that we've been speaking about so uh, as Mary is saying we need to stop the spread of COVID-19 uh, but with that in mind 
people need to be careful of where they're walking and if some people are going outside the 2k uh, well that's their uh, problem in a way but don't be bringing what you may have to those who are living in those scenic areas like that person there like Mary is in Ross Carberry and on staying with the virus a texter here is saying and she says that a lot of us are just sick and tired of this virus at this stage but this person thinks the big losers are the older generation that didn't travel anywhere but the virus was brought into them we are an island nation it could easily have been stopped coming into us here in Ireland if the country was on lockdown sooner now they can be hunting it around the country for what it's worth. This person thinks it was very badly managed at the start. And on a different issue to do with animals, and it's something we may touch on later in the week, uh, because while all this is going on, we are seeing still a level of animal cruelty here in this country. And this is something, I don't know where this happened, but it's something that happened yesterday, uh, where this person was is asking, where are all the do-gooders now? Because she came across a horse who was in a field yesterday on her own and had just given birth to a foal again on her own yesterday but unfortunately the foal died after birth and this particular horse sat there all night long alongside the dead foal and while this was happening people were walking the course of this particular field that this happened in with children and they had to watch this and what will happen to the foal now are they're wondering sometimes uh, this person says what they, has happened in the past in this area is that the foal can be left on the side of a riverbank and just left there, which is awful. And then it's up to one of the animal rights organisations to come along and they deal with the situation. But what a joke that this still continues on in this time. I says that text her to 86 on the issue of flour and the shortage of flour in our stores. Uh, one person here on WhatsApp saying, yes, I heard you mention the flour, JP, and you were right about the availability of it in our shops. Not an ounce of flour to get. And also I was trying to get uh, Odlum's gluten-free flour and could not get that either. I did ring Odlums, but there was no one answering. But still, we uh, we have a situation, this person says, where it is impossible at the moment to get uh, the flower that we all require. And then our frontline staff, and we've heard a lot of this over the last while, from people who are working in the front line and people who uh, are working either in nursing homes or in hospitals and they do not wish to return to their home place for fear they might pass something on and also and they're slow to go to a place they are renting in case they pass it on to their housemates. So with that in mind Anne in McCroom was in touch with Bernie before the show this morning and her mother is in a nursing home uh, she has not seen her for six weeks and she is 85 years old she had a bad turn last week and they could not go in to see her. Now, it was a mild stroke and she is deteriorating. Uh, but Anne would be loving to be able to go in and see her mother at this stage. But also, Anne's daughter is a first-year nurse and is working in a hospital here in Cork. Now, she's living in the city and she does not want to bring the virus back home to McCroom. But she's paying €110 Euro per week for a room in a house. Now, that is a big uh, lump out of her wages. And she's only 22 two years old now like many she misses home she misses her family especially everything going on at the moment but Anne thinks the Minister for Health Simon Harris while he is doing a great job nobody is helping the frontline staff she thinks the staff should be pushed up in either hotels or hostels at this time if they are in a situation whereby they're renting and they're paying a huge amount in rent a week 
that is a big lump sum out of their wages and a lot of these nurses are not on great wages as they start off so with all that in mind uh, they're, they're not making money they're renting because they don't want to be living at home with their parents and bringing the virus home uh, but they're struggling with their rent every month so uh, Anne and I'm sure others feel something needs to be done now I know we've had a lot of situations we've spoken to people on the show over the last number of weeks who are offering their homes up to those who do work in healthcare free of charge uh, and then we've had other people on like we've had the uh, local Cork entrepreneur Pat Phelan who was in touch with us he, we spoke with him as well on the show and he was uh, organising while he was organising initially cars for frontline staff to get to work he was then organising accommodation for frontline workers, somebody maybe or offices who may have apartments or somebody might be uh, renting an apartment and after moving back home before all this kicked off because they knew what was going to happen and, and the apartments are free or maybe apartment blocks are, are just free uh, from not being rented out yet or, or something like maybe using a hotel or hostel. That has been mentioned. Uh, so it's a good point and should we be looking more at this to help out our frontline staff who are suffering uh, and they're the ones who are in the hospitals working long shifts. They're the ones who were getting the nation through this on a health point of view but then they're struggling to pay rent and they're paying rent majority of them because they live away from home others are now paying rent because they don't want to bring the virus back home to their families and therefore to their hometown as well your views are welcome on that 1850 333103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 and something we'll discuss further on the show tomorrow getting a few calls on this and it's a shop owner who contacted us a small retail shop he says and the problems he's having now is getting staff as he says, small shops are competing with the government for the COVID payment of 350. It's a good amount of money, and a lot of small retailers would not pay that high for those who work a few hours a week. So now that is what we are battling staff to keep our doors open. Uh, that's something we'll come back to on the show tomorrow. C103 Jobs. And we have opportunities on today's job spot. First of all, staff are wanted for seasonal jobs, cooking, cleaning, prepping and serving in the Ross Carberry area. Email passsully7787 at gmail.com. Carpenters are wanted in the Cork area. Duties to include fixing and roofing. Your own transport and safe pass is required. Contact Ray on 085-7205-500. And a production operator is wanted for part-time position. It's in the Bandon area. You'll get more details tells off of those jobs now on our website go to c103.ie forward slash job Court today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 and the Health and Safety Authority has urged farmers to be extra vigilant on the farm as it fears a spike in child deaths on farms could occur Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
The HSA Inspector Pat Griffin joins me on this. Uh, good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, John Paul. I suppose what's happening here is as many children now remain home from school, uh, there is fear we could see an increase in fatalities, especially now with the good weather we are having and also the fact people are exploring their areas, children are exploring with them and they may enter farmyards by accident. Absolutely. We have uh, an unprecedented extended period of time for children and young people to be at home and uh, on the farm. And uh, given that the farm is probably the most dangerous uh, workplace in the country, children, young persons and and the elderly are at particular risk. So we have done a lot of work over the years to try to reduce the level of uh, child deaths on farms. And uh, we have succeeded as one of our few successes in agriculture. And we certainly don't want to see that reversed. We don't want to see a spike in child deaths in 2020 with this extended period of children at home on the farm. And as you mentioned there, agriculture is one of the most dangerous sectors in this country to work on. For young and old, I know last year the HSA, you recorded 18 deaths on farms last year. Yes, 18 deaths and and sadly 13 of those were um, to people over the age of 60. So elderly people are at particular risk as well. And if we look at, you know, farming in general, um, the people that are getting um, involved with fatal and serious accidents are generally elderly people. And uh, the tractor, machinery and livestock is big biggest risk with them. And similarly with children, tractors and machinery and other vehicles like quads. And we hope that, uh, you know, farmers will think about child safety, look about the place and, and realise that the, the children are home, they're on the farm, they want to do things. So I think it, the best thing to do is try to look at age-appropriate work for them and try to get them involved in some some aspects of the farm, but to make sure that it's safe for them to do so. And it's up to the farmer as well, I suppose, or whoever's in control of the land, they're working on the land to watch different areas. I mean, if if they are working near tractors to make sure uh, that the tractor's in fit condition, that handbrakes are working, that it won't roll back, and also the other dangers that are on farms. Yeah, I think um, tractors and machinery are the biggest killers on, on farms for any age group. And really, farmers must make sure that the tractors and all um, vehicles on the farm are in good condition, and particularly the brakes are good. And that people could should keep their distance. You know, we're talking a lot about uh, keep your distance at the moment from social distancing. I would start to apply that to farm, farm uh, farmyards and, and tractors and machinery. When tractors and machinery are, are, are operating, you have to keep your distance and make sure that you're safe. And, uh, you know, I appeal to farmers to, to think about uh, what, what, they're, what they're at and what work that they can actually have children do. You know, that there's a few fairly simple rules we put out there that children under the age of seven cannot be carried on a tractor. They have to be over seven and have a, a dedicated seat with a lap belt to be travelling on a tractor. And when you see tractors passing in a field or in the, on the road, indeed, with three and four children in the in the cab, this is immediately wrong. It's absolutely illegal and should be stopped. Uh, children over the age of 14 can operate tractors, a small tractor, on the farm, on their own farm. But there's a few conditions to that. They must have appropriate training by a competent trainer. They have to be supervised at all times. They shouldn't have any other children in the cab and they should know all the controls and how the, how, how the tractor works. So, like, it's, it's uh, these rules, if you follow them and people are careful, we won't have a spike, but I am concerned. 
Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, the machinery side of it there and the various rules. I mean, pits, a lot of farms have, depending on their size, would have a number of pits spread it across the farm. One, a major one usually, I mean, they need to be washed as well. Maybe that they're, uh, maybe not covered, but that they know you're, it's there, uh, that they're highlighted in some way and to keep young children especially uh, away from those particular areas. Because as we all know, children will stroll off on their own time and walk into anything. Yeah, well, I mean, to to really make children safe on the farm, I, I think it's good practice for the farmer and 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 the children to go down the yard, um, have a have a discussion about um, farm safety, um, look around and ask the children to point out to things that they think is dangerous, and um, the farmer should absolutely do a, a walk about the farmyard, making sure that there's no um, agitation points left open that there's no gates that may fall or wheels that may fall on, on children. And definitely, if there's, if there's slurry or slurry areas, make sure that they're properly fenced off and children can't go in there. Um, you know, simple simple things make a big, big difference. And unfortunately, we can't turn back the clock when, when, when the dreadful things happen. Okay, and also just outside of children, I mean, would you worry, you mentioned elderly uh, farmers there earlier on, you may have a lot of elderly farmers who are living on their own, they're supposed to be cocooning, but still they will be out on the farming as farming life goes on as normal. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's pressures in farms at the moment, some may be growing for, for shops, some may be uh, just doing the day-to-day normal for a farm, and because of that, then there's extra pressure this time of the year for obvious reasons when it comes to farming. Uh, what would you say to people in that situation who may have elderly parents who they don't want to visit for the obvious reason uh, but still they may be aware of one of them who is still working on a farm in case something would go wrong for that particular person? Yeah, well I think communication is, is essential that um, you know that people communicate with, with their elderly, elderly parents that may be still uh, farming to make sure that, uh, that they're okay um, that they have supplies of everything they need and that if they are doing any work that may need a second pair of hands or that might be risky that they seek help and uh, try to get help from farming organisations, um, FRS or IFA or, 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 or friends or neighbours around, uh, where that um, they can actually come in and, and help them on the farm while the farmer still stays, um, stays uh, cocooning. It's a difficult time um, uh, and, you know, the... The dreadful figures we look at every year, uh, the, the over the over sixties and predict, predict the over sixty fives, are always up there, and it is a major issue. I mean, their 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 lack of speed or strength or agility, and um, is probably the biggest issue when they have to work with tractors or, or livestock, and um, they really have to be particularly careful at this time at, at this time and make sure that they're not going to get seriously injured. Okay and very finally John and Clonacilty has a question for you Pat he wants to know how is it that still farming is the worst for deaths compared to most jobs with the least amount of safety inspections carried out by the HSA the farming still is one of the highest. Well we've been working at this now for um, 30 years Um, we have done an awful lot of work with the farming organisations there's a lot of good people out there um, working on this in all the uh, major stakeholders in in farming, but it is a difficult business. You you know, there's a lot of in, uh, unpredictability around livestock. They can turn at any moment, and you have to deal with livestock. You have to work with them. We're trying to make sure that uh, farmers have proper handling facilities and and 
are trained, are better trained in, in how to um, work with, with livestock and indeed uh, work with tractors and other machines. I think we have made improvements. Um, I mean, the, the the level of deaths haven't uh, come down uh, enough, but that they have reduced uh, somewhat. Uh, but they need to come down much further and uh, we'll keep working at it. Okay, well for the moment Pat uh, I get a reminder to everybody on farms to be extra careful at this time especially with young children and indeed uh, elderly parents who may be still working on their farms uh, Thanks for joining us so that is the HSA Inspector Pat Griffin there from the Health and Safety Authority On the way we're going to hear why the Cork Forklow Group they want to find out and they want everybody to document their daily lives during the coronavirus We'll find out why next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Now we do all love to hear stories from folklore and indeed stories from years gone by. But in 30 to 40 years, who will be able to tell our children or indeed the younger generation of this time of this particular worldwide pandemic well the Cork Folklore have started a project and Dr Kleena O'Carroll joins me on this good morning to you Dr Kleena Good morning Grandpa and thanks for joining us first of all I mean we've all attended storytelling events and listened with interest about events and stories from years ago and this may be from Irish history or something totally different. But this is something in years to come uh, that people would like to be able to tell their own children, their younger generation of what is actually happening. Uh, tell us about the project you're involved with, because I think you'd like the people involved on what's happening to them on a day by day basis of an ordinary person's life. Absolutely. So we're, I mean, we're living through extraordinary times. And as we all are noticing, life is changing just so fast. Um, when we think back to a week ago or two weeks ago, it feels, feels like a different world. There's a lot we'll remember, but there's a lot that will be forgotten and go unrecorded. And of course, we have a lot of social media, but that won't last. And the official sources and the newspapers only focus on certain aspects. So we decided to create a platform to record people's everyday experience in order to put them on the record. Um, We've made a questionnaire available in phases on our website, corkfolklore.org. And there we're asking people about their everyday routine, how different groups are affected, the ways we talk and communicate, community responses, and of course, people's thoughts and preoccupations in the future. So this is a kind of a rolling questionnaire. Our first phase finishes on the night of Monday, the 20th of April, and the next on the 4th of May, and it'll roll on. People can make an entry any as many times as they like, and we'd just like to find out what's life like for you right now. And I suppose it goes down to the basics whereby how you get on every day, the minute you get up in the morning to do even your work. I mean, people now are working from home, they're not commuting or even going to the shop. I mean, our shopping experience has totally changed the way that you will queue up before you go in or they won't let an amount of people into the shop at the one time and your social distancing while in the store and wearing gloves, those type of things. Absolutely. And I mean, this is, um, it's created a record that lasts Um, for the future but one thing that we've sort of noticed about this is that people are responding and talking about how it helped them to write about how they're feeling um, and how their life is changing and as one person said it's so important to put some shape on our experiences so this is a kind of an opportunity for people to create a bit of a time capsule for themselves we all kind of say oh I should keep a diary 
but how many of us actually do it. The person who fills out the questionnaire will receive a copy of it straight away by email. So that that little job is done. Um, But we're also asking people not just to talk about their own lives, there are quite a few people that won't be in a position to fill out the survey, either because they don't have access to it um, or because they're too busy working. You know, some of them are uh, cleaners, supermarket staff, hospital nursing staff, uh, bin collectors and so on. So we'd like to ask people to kind of act as collectors for us and um, not just putting down their own reflection, but maybe reporting on your older neighbours' views, your auntie in India's comments. Your kids talking about seeing their granny when the germs are gone. Um, Maybe your sister who's a nurse or your friend who actually had COVID-19. So all of that is valuable to us. And it'll give a real insight into how this was experienced by us as individuals, as families and as communities for generations to come. And something else that will be spoken about in years to come is how attending a funeral uh, has changed. We're not attending them unless, of course, it is a loved one or a family member. Uh, but that has changed and people are saying goodbye in a very different way now. And a lot of that is done by just simply writing your name on a website and sending condolences that way. Absolutely. And we're finding that um, the ways that it, it, it really feels strange to us and it's really disturbing to us so often that these social ways of showing solidarity physically by being present physically, um, it hurts us not to be able to do that. I read out one comment from uh, from some of our early returns there to you about funerals, if Please I may. Please do, yeah. So one woman was talking about um, a uh, somebody who had died on their estate. She said, the funeral took place in our estate today. The hearse moved slowly through the roads with the neighbours all out to pay respects from a distance. The most poignant, sad funeral. And another person talked about um, attending a funeral remotely. The funeral was streamed. And they found that they really, their emotions really came to the fore and they, they had a really good opportunity there to grieve properly um, on their own, but somehow with the family at the same time. Yeah, and again, while now we're, we're aware of what is happening and we hear those stories in 40, 50 years' time, those stories will be related to people who weren't living in this particular time and, and they might find this just something very extraordinary to think that we have lived through this in this particular world. So that is what you're trying to capture, what basically we're taking for granted now that we're adapting to this, whether we like it or not, we have no choice. Uh, but it's something that in years to come, people will go, God, you, you did really live through a, a various weird time, which I suppose uh, clean that's what we will say to people who tell us stories from maybe the World War Two scenarios or uh, we we'll always hear about the Irish uh, our Irish wars here or Irish Civil War, the Black and Tans and all of that. Absolutely. And you know what, actually, John Paul, this is stirring up a lot of memories in people about that sort of the intergenerational memory of things like this. So one retired farmer from West Cork, in his submission, he said that he was remembering, thinking a lot about how his father had told him about uh, the experience of the Spanish flu in their family and how um, his two sisters died from the Spanish flu. So we're kind of, um, you know, we we deal with these um, strange times and with traumatic experiences by talking about them, 
by passing on our reactions um, and our observations down through the generations. So we would hope as well to pay some part in that chain and also maybe to get people talking about that kind of thing. So if people wanted to sit down with an older member of the family over the phone or if they're with them in person and write down, um, it might sort of spark a new kind of conversation about these times. Yeah, of course, indeed. And, and, and something that maybe you didn't know or weren't aware of in your family will become aware of around now as people either communicate via Skype or, or if you're lucky enough to be still at home. Uh, just your folklore project before we get into how people can submit or get in touch. Just tell us about the project. I mean, I know you've been around for the last is it 25 years and you're, you're based on the city north side uh, and what work you've done over the last while. Absolutely. So um, the Cork Folklore Project is a community-based folklore collection and archiving unit. We're um, affiliated with UCC. So I work in the Department of Folklore and Ethnology, Bailadus, in UCC, as well as being research director with the Cork Folklore Project. And our researchers, many of whom are on community employment schemes, um, carry out audio interviewing. So what we're best at doing is sitting down face-to-face with people and talking about everyday life. It could be a themed thing, for example, stonemasons' experiences, or it could be much looser, just talking about what life was for them growing up in Court City in the 1940s, in Glengariff in the 1960s. Um, and we have a an archive of over 700 audio interviews that are there for members of the public to come into us to access. Our catalogue is online, so if you go to our um, website on corkfolklore.org, you can click in and have a look at some of the different collections. We're kind of populating this online catalogue slowly but surely. You can look at the different, some of our different collections. And of course, um, then with with these new times, we couldn't sit down and talk to people face to face anymore. And that's where we came up with this um, uh, questionnaire online. Interestingly enough, the National Folklore Collection, many people listening now might be familiar with the schools collection that the, Nation- that the Irish Folklore Commission um, uh, carried out that's available at dukas.ie. The National Folklore Collection used to send out questionnaires around the country as well, asking people um, to ask around in their communities about patching, about care of the feet, all sorts of different, um, uh, all sorts of different topics. And we're kind of, we're harking back now to that tradition of... Uh, the people of Ireland sort of um, putting their words on the record through uh, this kind of activity. Yeah, indeed we are. And it's good that we are doing that. So again, if people do want to take part and submit uh, their stories or even their their audio or photos, uh, just go through the way they can contact you there again via email. Absolutely. So if they go to our website at corkfolklore.org, we have a page for our Chronicles of COVID um, uh, for our Chronicles COVID project and that they'll see a tab which is COVID Chronicles CFP COVID Chronicles they click in there and as you mentioned um, we do already have some volunteers keeping audio diaries for us and keeping text diaries as well as filling out the questionnaire and we're very interested if people would like to get in contact with us a lot of people have been documenting through photography as well and if they want to get in contact with us we'll organise for them to deposit that material with us. Excellent stuff but it will be fascinating to look back on all of this uh, especially for a generation that isn't here at the moment in, in 50 or 60 years time uh, like I suppose we are doing now with things that have happened in Ireland about 100 years ago but for the moment uh, Clina thanks for joining us this morning and thanks for an insight into what you were doing there with that project and best of luck with it.
Great pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, that is Dr. Kleena O'Carroll, who's research director with the Cork Folklore Project uh, based on the city north side. Have been around for the last 25 years and I think it's a great thing uh, they are doing there. Something uh, that will be documented and something that people can tell and show and even hear uh, in about 50 or 60 years time is something a lot of people will always remember at this particular time in our lives. But for those that aren't here now and that will be here in, in years to come, it's good for them to know what everybody lived through, uh, which is an unusual time for many. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. A lot of comments coming in to us. Keep your gardening questions coming as well for Peter on that number or indeed text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103. Keep your gardening questions coming for Peter. He'll join us after 12.30. You can text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103. A lot of your calls and comments in on various issues. I'll get to those. But first, something uh, that we did discuss briefly a few weeks ago. Get a lot of calls on this and it's especially a time for people who are saying goodbye to loved ones it's a difficult time because things have changed so much and many now uh, cannot attend funerals of their loved ones and it's upsetting for everybody at this time including uh, the local funeral undertaker and one of those is asking people to be mindful at this time James Renane of Renane's Funeral Undertakers in Formoy joins me James a very good afternoon to you Hello, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And, and thanks for joining us. Uh, you had a, a post up on social media at the weekend. And it's something that a lot of people would usually do anyhow. But maybe we have lost our traditions over the last number of years. Everybody has been so busy and rushing from A to B. And it's basically that if people do see a hearse, could they stop, stand for a moment as it passes? Perhaps if you're wearing a cap, take it off by your head or what many of us do, even if we pass a hearse on the road, we bless ourselves and make in the sign of the cross. Is that something that has been lacking in the last number of years and is slowly now coming back because of the change in our situation? Yeah, may- maybe it has um, disappeared somewhat, um, but still, thank God, in this, this uh, country of ours, that most people still have that respect for funerals that they they or bless themselves as it passes. Um, but maybe, as you said, we were all in too much of a hurry to take that much notice. And it is an absolutely beautiful Irish tradition. And since that post on social media, there was someone sent a message to me. What he learned going to school from his teacher was, when you meet a funeral, you stop, bow, bless yourself, and you take three steps after the hearse. And in Irish, it was called three came which meant three steps of mercy or support. Um, now, that was out of respect and support and solidarity with the bereaved and out of respect of the deceased. But nowadays, it's very, very different. You have people who are bereaved who can't get the outpouring from the people around them, from their neighbours, people that they're working with. So just think of everyone that passes, every funeral you see, how much they are now missing out on. Plus being bereaved, as all of us will be at some time. None of us will escape. We all will be bereaved at some time. But not being able to have that support, that this mask of respect, it means a lot to people when they can't reach out. 
Of course it does. And, and one thing we've seen, and this can't work everywhere, but it can work in some locations. And you, people are doing this by social distancing. And it started in West Kerry, and I've seen it in West Cork as well, whereby if there is somebody in the community whereby the hearse is passing through the village or town and that people are out at their front doors or just on the side of the street, social distancing, and they are paying that respect and the families can see that too. And that is how many people now are paying respect to the families and that is a nice idea too that people are, are doing this within the guidelines Yeah um, we've had an experience of that both um, in the, the town here and also in the country where people stood at their gates uh, on, on the country road as the hearse passed again in a village they lie on both sides of the village social distancing and um, in, in the town here in Tamai, we had gone into an estate and around the state and all the neighbours standing out. And that means so much to the family at this time when they can't have these people with them. Yeah, because, I mean, currently yourselves and other funeral directors, I mean, what you're dealing with now, it's obviously tough and very hurting for the families because you don't have the normal type of funeral whereby uh, you don't have any sympathies, none of the shaking of the hands, no public rosaries or anything like that. So what is at the moment, how does a funeral work uh, for you guys now? What is the norm within COVID-19? Yeah, um, Firstly, for funeral directors, it, it's uh, it, it's completely different because all funeral directors now and their staff are in the front line of this pandemic. But that aside, uh, as funeral directors, our first duty of care is to the deceased and then to their families. Now, when we go to dealing with the families, you feel that bit distant. You can't have a whole family come into your premises to make arrangements like you would before. Uh Everything is kind of remote. A lot of it is by phone. And uh, it, it just, for us, it's not normal. It's not what we normally do. And you feel remote from it. You feel aloof from the family. And there's lots of other things that they miss out on. Uh, they don't get the music they want to the family. They don't have the get-together afterwards with their family and friends to just talk and chat about the person that's deceased. They don't have the crowds and, you know... One of the things about it in Irish funeral is the shaking hands and the hugging, meeting old friends, old work colleagues, your your present work colleagues, all that is gone. And then there is the horrible thing where some people abroad cannot come home for family funerals. Now, it can be streamed to them, but that is totally alien to what we are used to in Ireland. Totally alien. Yeah, we have we have the compassion always, whereby we're face to face, and that's now not not there anymore. I mean, for you, you mentioned there the way you're dealing with things. Is it very tough for a funeral director when the families are coming in? You feel like you, I suppose, in a way, uh, your service to them is restricted because of what is happening. Yeah, you 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 feel as if you're not giving us what you should be giving us. Like uh, our uh, funeral directors, our work is is to. Uh, you take over the role for these families for organising the funeral, and that means everything. So that they can go sit about arranging what they want to arrange, maybe through the mess and music and that, and it gives them time to appreciate what's happening. Uh, we just feel now that that's, that's distant from us, you know, because a lot of it isn't happening, and you just don't feel you're doing the same thing. And, uh, you know, you feel you're lacking in the service that you're giving. You can all you can do is just do your best, and you know, hopefully it's somewhere near what they want. 
But there's a lot of anomalies funerals missing. And you're obviously very much used to dealing with people who are bereaved, upset and funerals. You're doing it a long, long time at this stage. In this situation, is it emotional for you seeing the families dealing with the new type of funeral that you're organising for them? It is. And you, you can see it in them. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their actions. Um, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they can't comprehend what's happening either. There's nobody in, in, in the world can comprehend this, this pandemic at the moment. But for a funeral, they can't comprehend this. It's so different to what we're all used to. It's so different to what they should expect. And, like, in a normal funeral, 95% of meeting people uh, would happen during the funeral. The, the, the people, meeting the people they know. You'd always meet some few afterwards who didn't make the funeral. And uh, going forward, I would think that's going to be very hard on people to deal with bereavement. Uh, you see people in a, in a cemetery after a funeral, a family, and they all go their separate ways, back to their own houses. Um, all that is, is, is uh, you know, for us looking at you can see this, it, it's, it's upsetting. Yeah, because as you mentioned, people will go to an afters after a funeral, either to a hotel or or to a bar or something to remember their loved one. Uh, But that isn't there anymore now. So you have people uh, leaving a a graveyard. I mean, how many, first of all, describe the the current situation now uh, at a graveyard. I've seen pictures whereby you would just see maybe a son uh, or maybe two sons or a son and a daughter and, and the father standing alongside the grave after burying their mother. Is that the yeah. way it's gone? You would have very limited numbers, obviously, now within the graveyard. Well, the the number given by the, the, the government is 10, mm. um, which is very, very difficult. Um, you can arrange, in a, in a funeral home setting, you can arrange that members of families can come at different times to pay their respects and to say their goodbyes. But like for... Uh, if you're having mass in a church, if the, if it is available to you, um, ten people is very little out of a family. Like f- families in Ireland are a big thing. Families in Ireland are considered sons, daughters, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, in-laws, cousins, you know, everything. Yeah. yeah. And the thing so is, how do you choose? Awkward. Yeah, that's, that's it. How do you choose who gets them, who doesn't? It's very difficult. It's a very difficult situation for people to put themselves in and you can understand maybe why some will just limit to maybe just the sons and the daughters yeah. and the husband or wife at the uh, burial site so not to upset those who, who cannot come and not choosing up to 10 people. Uh, and then for yourself looking on, I mean, I mentioned there you've done this a long time, even before what we're dealing with now. I mean, every funeral for you, I know it's your job and going to work. I mean, every funeral, do you feel that, that, that pain? Did you, and how do you deal with that every single day, dealing with death and, and the way you deal with it and, and the way you go through the motions with the family? I mean, it, is, it must be, uh, even though you're doing it day to day, it still must be something that takes a lot of energy out of you. Or are you just, uh, do, you, do you get used to it as time goes on? I mean, how does that, how does it work trying to get into no, your, your mindset? Uh, every funeral is individual. And every family is individual. They all have individual needs. They may be similar, but they all have their own individual needs. And uh, it's our duty to meet those needs, whatever they are, and to try and make it work for them. And, uh, you know, there, there is 
a sense of satisfaction out of doing it and doing it well and seeing that the family are able to give their loved one the send off they wanted. That's the main thing about it. Mm. You know, that's the most important part. And yeah, sometimes it's extremely difficult because it can be a very close thing for a family, it can be a tragic case. Every death is emotional for families, for everyone. You know, you might be only a neighbour, but it's emotional looking on. And, uh, you know, for us, it's, it's just so different from what we were used to doing, what we were used to giving. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the bottom line for us. And I'm only speaking on my own behalf, and I've spoke to some other funeral directors who feel the same as I do, that they feel like they're not giving the service you used to give. But and I'm sure... There is so much missing out of it and so many people missing out of it. But I'm sure, James, and many will understand that the current restrictions in place, I mean, you, you have to obey those and people who uh, will understand that and whose loved ones are being buried will understand that. I mean, we hear there uh, on our own death notices of people who are passing away, they are obeying the guidelines, but they are saying later when things will return to whatever normality or whatever normal will be like following this, that they will have a celebration of life mass or an event for their loved ones. So, you know, th- that does give solace as well that there will be something later to remember the person in a church situation or another situation. So so that would give something. But at the moment, we all have to obey by what we are being told. Yeah. Uh, speaking there on the various funerals, I mean, it's obviously some, like I mentioned, can be a celebration of life. The person might have lived a very good life and might have been telling their relatives when I pass on, make it a celebration, make it a nice occasion, make it a celebration of life. But then you have those uh, funerals whereby it's a young person who may have been taken through illness or, or through an accident. I mean, and they're, they're the tough ones. And hopefully, at this time, you know, you, you, you won't see a lot of those, but they will be tough if you come up against those. Yeah, and and um, those are the ones now. These these are those younger people, uh, young today. Like you could be young in your seventies today because people could. are living much yeah. much longer, mm-hmm. and certain deaths and young deaths. These are the ones where always, in this country, always, the community came to the fore. Because around here, around my huge catchment area around it, and I know it's the same for most of Ireland, if you have a death in the family, and especially a tragic death, or a sudden death, before you know where you are, your house is just taken over. Friends and neighbours come in. There's no one asks them to do anything, but everything is done. They, they look after tea, coffee, catering, food. If anyone wants spinach, they're about to be collected, whatever. It's all done. And this pandemic has robbed that from everyone. And uh, those people, as you say, that suddenly that's not that they're the ones that need the support most, and they're the ones going forward who are going to need the support even more still. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I would be afraid of going forward. You know, the funeral is over. Mm. Usually, everyone has never even done uh, the shaking hands, they've met him, whatever. But I would just encourage people, whether they're neighbours, work colleagues, whatever, just to keep in touch with people who've lost people during this pandemic. Text them, call them, whatever. Because it's lonesome in normal circumstances after a death, but it's got to be much more lonesome now when you're. Uh, isolated in your own home, uh, only to, able to travel two uh, kilometres and with social distancing. So it's going to be much harder than those people when they go home after a few months. 
course it is and they'll be thinking of what life was and thinking of the loved one even more so because they won't have their uh, relatives or friends or cousins whatever with them all going through the similar emotions and again as you mentioned earlier if people do see a hearse with a coffin and it is going up a main street to stop to pay respects and to think of the family at that time and Mary here has texted in to say uh, a number of years ago when a hearse with a coffin when it was passing in a town the shops and the people that owned the shops would turn off the lights maybe that's something we could look at again James if there is well, a lot of shops are closing anyhow but maybe those uh, later in the evenings and supermarkets maybe or even homes to, to respect that uh, when someone passes to show that respect for the family Yeah that was always the tradition and even now uh, in country villages especially you will see the like a public house and that would close the door if they notice a funeral passing which is a lovely lovely tradition to see a guard saluting a house as it passes that is one of the greatest honours the state can afford to a citizen I think anyway personally but you know just it's only a minute to stop out of respect for the deceased and tomorrow Indeed, no one knows. No one knows, James. You mind yourself uh, and funeral undertakers who were dealing with, with all the various emotions as well uh, and trying to overcome these restrictions and deal with families in this way. And uh, thanks for joining us and, and sharing this afternoon your own experiences. Thank you, John Paul. Thanks very much. Thank you. That's James Renan there from Renan's Funeral Undertakers in Fermoy uh, on how funerals here locally have changed and why everybody, if you're out and about, and maybe it's something we have stopped over the years when we were also busy uh, before COVID-19 people rushing from A to B rushing from work to go either to a sporting occasion or to go to collect the kids from something or to go uh, to another job maybe uh, and then to rush and beat the traffic home that w- we would have seen uh, a funeral uh, passing and we would not have paused or nodded or blessed yourself or whatever you would do to show respect something that maybe uh, as James has said there to bring back in at a time where large amounts of people cannot go uh, and indeed attend those particular funerals anyhow thank you for your text regarding that Um, a lot of people remembering the various traditions over the years and a lot of people like Mary text again the fact that yeah when a a hearse used to pass with a coffin uh, in the towns the, the, the lights on shop windows used to be switched off for that particular period and, and obviously grocery stores are supposed to be the only things that are open now and I'm sure many would continue to do that uh, considering what is happening at the moment 1850-333-103 lines open uh, Bernie and Sadie they take your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 uh, I want to go back to a number of comments that have come in across the morning on the various issues that we've been discussing first of all Donald has been on and this is regarding uh, scams that are doing the rounds so many various scams at the moment so beware of those but Donald has received an email claiming to be air that's not a new scam it has been around Bush uh, it was claiming that he was due a refund from air but the email address wasn't matching what an air address would be and the email in the end came from Morocco and in the end of course they were looking for his bank details so beware there are air scams going around claiming you were due a refund and looking then towards the end of the scam for your banking details on a funeral Mary in North Cork says has it actually come to a situation where an undertaker has to ask the public to stand and show respect when a coffin passes isn't it ridiculous I was doing a guard of honour recently I presume before all of this so when the man in a car and trailer would not stop he just 
drove through the whole thing while the family shouldered the coffin. We waved him down, but he was having none of it. The other side of the coin, a funeral is a very expensive business, uh, says Mary in North Cork. And at the moment, of course, it's a business that is restricted, as as you heard uh, James saying there. On to the election. And that was held uh, earlier this year and uh, people asking well where are things standing now because of the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are talking we could see a very historic movement here if both of those come in with somebody else to form a government well Pat says I think at this stage another election should be called like 100 years ago Sinn Féin will sweep into power uh, Michal Martin and Leo are not happy with this idea and that's why they are talking while Donald's saying why are we voting at all the people that got the most votes and picked by the people of Ireland won't have any real say. The party that gets the most votes should be the party to run the country with whatever of the elected TDs that will work with them. If the other parties won't work with them, they should be left out the way we're going. The majority of people of Ireland are being told to excuse my language but are being told to F off, says Donald, on the vote they gave earlier this year. And on the TD allowance, and this is how some TDs were looking for an allowance because they are working from home to pay for equipment they may need to work from home Dennis says I'd say the TDs that are looking for this allowance uh, for them I would strip them of their travel their food and any allowances that they get for their constituency offices because then they really might work for their money uh, says Dennis on text and also staying with this uh, texter here saying I suppose the poor TDs are missing out on their travel allowances so have to compensate themselves some way just like the MPs in England have got money for something similar I hope the compensation for all the frontline staff will be given too if this goes ahead however we'll and hope says that particular person and earlier we were speaking to the Health and Safety Authority now we were speaking to them specifically on a farming issue but this text came in and this is probably more so for well the uh, Health and Safety will be involved mainly in this instance for the council but I'll I'll, I'll send this out and we'll, we'll see what reaction we get back on this it's from a listener in North Cork who says Uh, Listening to the Health and Safety Authority there, I feel the most simplest things are overlooked. For example, very bad street lighting near funeral homes. Footpaths curbing should be bright and simple. Bollards should be short so most people uh, can pass them. And while most are in black, they should be in white, especially again if you're near funeral homes. In the winter I was near one. Uh, I was at a funeral. My vision is bad at night and I haven't been driving at night in about 15 years as a result of an eye accident. But these small things would help me so much if things like bollards and footpaths were white and bright instead of being dark. I was at a funeral and in the town I was in it was near Christmas and it was a dear friend of mine we were returning to the car and I fell over a curb on the edge of the path which then left me with a very sore hip since I have been dealing with this I'm now ending up with less rest at night. I also got skins, uh, knees and bones at that particular time and all of this was because first of all the poor lighting in the area and also the curbing so maybe the simple things might matter the most when it comes to health and safety and I'm sure that's been raised in the shore a long long time uh, regarding the fact that lighting street lighting can be very poor and can lead to simple accidents and also the condition of our footpaths across Cork on frontline staff looking for accommodation many frontline staff do not wish to 
first of all return home to their home place in case they spread the virus or indeed go back to a house share situation. Some now are renting apartments and it's costing them a lot more as we heard Anne from McCroom lie earlier uh, on her daughter's story. Uh, well Tim is saying what is wrong with all the students accommodation that's across the city? Um, the majority and all students are home at this stage so if that accommodation is free can the frontline staff not use this? Can something happen? Can some arrangement come through on this? We'll check that out. Also on the issue of testing for COVID a listener here will get this checked out by the HSE is asking what's happening with the Cork Racecourse in Mallow regarding the COVID-19 testing. Every time I passed uh, I don't see anything happening there. Well, That's not to say uh, the testing isn't going on. Maybe there's not a large amount of testing going on there. There's some reason behind that. Anyhow we'll check that out uh, for you from the HSE. On the issue of motor tax, uh, Shirley asking, could you discuss this on your show about motor tax and what now they will do about all the trucks and other vehicles that are not on the road due to no work because of COVID-19? As tax expires, will there will people have to pay the arrears when retaxing or do we simply have to pay motor tax when vehicles are not in use, uh, says Shirley. Uh, well, on that, I mean, OK, for, for trucks and big companies who may not be working, even though the majority of uh, trucks and couriers are busier than ever. So I presume, depending on the truck company, most are working. But if trucks aren't working, that might be a situation we'll check uh, with the tax office and with the motor tax office on that. Uh, but the majority of trucks, as far as we know, are, are working and truck drivers are busier than ever delivering goods. But I suppose maybe it depends on what business that they're being used for. Uh, but outside of that, uh, for private uh, customers or for private car owners, uh, like like people who are just travelling to work and maybe not travelling to work anymore I would think you will still have to tax your car regardless because what well, if you want to go to the shop uh, unless you're going to be getting public transport all the time which people uh, some are still some rather not at the moment but some are uh, and if public transport is still running so in that situation surely I would there's no one saying not to pay your motor tax everybody is paying your motor tax as normal motor tax office is open as normal and people are paying their motor tax as normal because who's to say your car is off the road if it is off the road you need a letter and then that, that letter will show that your car is off the road but I presume the majority of people will still be using the car uh, to do various things like shopping so yes you still pay your motor tax as normal that is it when it comes to commercial companies it's something we'll check on but the majority of companies are still running as normal especially those with trucks some of your calls and comments coming into us we'll get through more uh, across the, the remainder of the show but your gardening questions are welcome for Peter he joins us shortly 1850 333 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie And do Hallow Vintage Run their run in aid of the Mercy Hospital that was due to take place on the 19th of April in Blackwater Castle in Castletown Roach that has now been postponed until a later date Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And just on the issues of funerals there, we spoke with, with James Renane from Renane Undertakers in Fermoy and people remembering and discussing and thinking back of the way people have paid respect over the years. First of all, Michael saying... 
Uh, James, uh, your undertaker, reminded me of something as he spoke so respectively about funerals as they are now. I remember many years ago as my late father's funeral arrived at a church at the local Garda who was on duty at the time. He stood and saluted as the hearse and ourselves passed. I thought it was a wonderful, consoling gesture. I really feel for anyone who has a bereavement at this difficult time. And staying with that and, and respects and the way people pay respects, uh, Mike says, I remember being uh, in bands in a few years ago and a hearse with a coffin passed down South Main Street in the town. I blessed myself while another guy who was only two years ahead of me doubled up laughing at me. I'm only in my mid-40s. What a clown. No respect for the dead. Perhaps this health crisis might get us back to basics, uh, says Mike. And a person here, no name, but says, I'm 73 years old and I remember if someone died within a mile of us, we'd have the radio turned off all day and the curtains in our home was closed uh, all day as well, says that particular texter. And Tim was on from Yol and he says, the reality is that people have become very selfish, disrespectful and uncaring towards each other. I don't blanket the whole of society like this. However, we do not show the same respect to each other, even in times of loss of loved ones. This is a very poor reflection on us as a people. The epidemic is bringing a lot of people to their knees and showing them we are not as high and mighty as we think we are. Perhaps we needed a wake up call to the reality of life and need to step back and be human again. How long would it last though is another thing. I rest my point, says Tim in y'all. Peter is along next gardening on a beautiful day it is for gardening. He will speak to him as your gardening questions. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And just our final few comments in, just regarding, first of all, the funerals we spoke about there with uh, James Ronayne, funeral director in Fermoy. Uh, when we were in funeral homes, says this person in Mill Street, what really annoyed and made me so mad is people talking out loud in the funeral home, so disrespectful to the dead person and in particular to their families. Catherine Inglamire says she remembers when a funeral would pass through the town that yes everything would close including the doors of shops not to mind the lights but the doors would close as well and that was a mark of respect and Phil says uh, just to say my mother died a year and a half ago Weedle's Pharmacy on the Cork Road in Mallow closed their doors and the staff stood outside where the funeral was passing it was so respectful and meant a lot to the family says Phil on text 0862103103 thank you for your comments a lot of emails as well uh, into the show and we'll get to those on tomorrow's show but let's move on and let's go gardening a beautiful day it is today to be out in the garden and Peter Doddle joins us at the Irish Gardener uh, good afternoon to you Peter good afternoon John Paul how are you I'm fine thanks and it is a beautiful day and because of that and because the weather's been good everybody is in looking at the garden I think we'll have some of the best gardens after this pandemic and the best looking houses as people look to attend to their gardens Peter so uh, let's move in with questions I've had a lot of questions coming in today and I'll start off with this one it's to do with moss and Catherine wants to know would salt, vinegar or anything like that get rid of moss or are they just myths? No, not at all. Salt, salt will work on the, the principle of exosmosis, so it does. Salt will get rid of moss, but be very careful where you use it. Uh, salt on a hard surface like tarmac or concrete will work, but be very careful for, of two things. Number one, overuse of it is quite corrosive, the tarmac. It's the same salt as what you'd use for de-icing the rose, John Paul. Uh, but also the second thing to be careful of is where, that, the, where, the, 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 where the salt is going to run off to. In other words, when it dissolves and when it gets wet, where it runs off to. So if it's going to run off into a lawn or down into, into flower beds, be very, very careful because it's not going to be selective in what it, what it kills. It'll kill anything. 
Um, vinegar, not so much. Vinegar is a contact acting, acetic, acetic acid. It's contact acting, so it, it will kill the top of the moss. Uh, in other words, what it hits, what it comes in contact with, but it won't kill the root system, no. Okay, and regarding roses, a texter here wants to know, when can I start feeding my roses? I want to feed them now. Is tomato food good or what can I do? I'm living on my own, so I, I, I presume she means she can't be going out and buying as much as she would have done. Yes, well, you, you can start feeding your roses right away because with these rising temperatures, they're very much uh, started to grow. There's, there's quite a lot of new growth on the roses already. And roses are, are they're a hungry feeder, John Paul, more so than other plants. They need good feeding. Quite simply, the better you feed them, the more you feed them, the better they're going to do, the better, the more they're going to thrive, the more flowers they're going to give you, the healthier the growth will be. Um, tomato food is good to promote as a general kind of feed to promote flowers because it's quite rich in potassium and in phosphorus. So it's good to promote flowers. But really with roses, uh, like nine times out of ten, I'd say, no, don't use tomato food. You do need a specialist rose food. Gouldings do a particularly good one. Um, or there's another one, Nature Safe Seaweed Feed, which is a very, very good one uh, for roses, or the Goulding's Rose Food. But the reason I say nine times out of ten is because, of course, we're not in normal circumstances at the moment. You can't just nip out and go to your local garden centre, so if you don't have it, what do you do? So, yes, if you do have a good quality tomato food, again, Goulding's will probably be the best one out there. Um, use that to promote some flowers. But as soon as as soon as we're allowed out and about a bit more, and as soon as garden centres will be open, whenever that will be in the next few weeks, hopefully, um, I would go and get either the Nature Safe uh, liquid seaweed feed or the Goulding's rose food, and because they're quite specific in their needs. But for now, if you have the tomato food, use it away. Okay, and also regarding yeah. uh, bulbs, this is to do with Peter. Actually, it's a hyacinth bulb, and this listener wants to know when they're finishing flowering, what can I do with those particular bulbs? The listener from Bantier. Well, there's two. Two ways people grow hyacinths. One is uh, what's called prepared or forced bulbs. And they're the ones that you grow for Christmas, John Paul. You'd see them indoors, strongly scented in pots and that. And then the other ones are not, not prepared or not forced. And they're just growing naturally like any of the spring bulbs, like daffodils, uh, tulips, etc. And they'd be in flower or finishing finishing flowering now. And I'm, I'm presuming by the time of the year, that's what the listener is talking about, is that the, the spring flowering one's outdoor. Anyway, you can... If they're growing in pots or in well-drained soil, you should be safe enough to leave them alone, a bit like your daffodils. But if if, if you do need to, to get them out of that soil, or if the soil is anyway wet and they mightn't come on next year, lift the bulbs as soon as the foliage dies off. So as soon as the flowers go, then the foliage, the leaves and that will start to wither and go brown and die back into the bulb. Now, it's important that you leave that happen because... The, the chlorophyll and nutrients in the leaf go back into the bulb, which is the food reserve for next year's flower. So it's important that you let all that happen. And again, a shot of tomato food on the leaves as they're dying back into the bulb will do no harm. Um, then lift, once that has happened, then lift them out of the ground, uh, wrap them in a bit of newspaper or straw, keep them cool and dry until the autumn, and then you'll plant them out again this autumn for flowering next spring. So if it's, as I say, if they're in pots and if you don't need to disturb them or it's a well-drained soil, you'd probably get away with doing nothing. If you do need to move them or if the soil is prone to getting wet, lift them lift them when the foliage dies back. Okay, and Dolly's in Butterford. Now, she's bought a six-pack of strawberry plants. She wants to know how to look after them and should she put them in pots or can she plant them into the ground? There's very little looking after with strawberries. Once you've got the plants, they kind of take care of themselves, provided you give them you give them sun and water. I mean, nature is amazing. The garden is amazing. It needs very little interference from us. But 
uh, you can grow them in either pots or the open ground. I'd kind of err towards pots, and you can actually get specific pots designed for strawberries, strawberry pots, which which will have kind of, depending on the size, can have as many as five to fifteen different pockets. So it'll take obviously five to fifteen strawberry plants. The reason I'd kind of go with pots is um, if you grow them in the ground, in the open ground, and I grew up on a on a strawberry farm, so I'm well used to the backbreaking work of picking them uh, from the open ground. But the other thing with the open ground is the fruits are also lying on the soil, which means obviously the number one, they're they're more susceptible to rotting, and number two, they're more susceptible to pest damage. Whereas if they're growing and popped up off the ground, the fruit then isn't lying on the soil, so it's not going to rot. Uh, and it's not. It's, I'm not going to say it's not going to get attacked by pests. It will, but it's less susceptible when it's off the ground. Uh, what you can do, and it's a great, great way to grow strawberries, if you have any old drain pipe or any old bit of wagon pipe and just, just cut holes in it, uh, fill it with compost, cut holes in it, plant your, your strawberry plants into the pipe, and you can just you can tie that bit of pipe to a fence or a wall or whatever and keep them up off the ground that way. Okay, and Geraldine is in Middleton now. She has got a bay leaf tree since last year. Now, the leaves have gone black on this particular tree, so what can she do for it now? When she says black, if it's like, okay, if it was brown or yellowing or anything like that, it would be very possibly just um, a lack of water, particularly if they're growing in pots. But when she says black, that's quite a specific problem that affects bay leaf, not just bay leaf, it affects a lot of plants. Hollies are susceptible as well, and camellias, and it's a thing called sooty mould. So, if I, I know she's not there, but if I ask her the question, does it look like your bay leaf has been covered in soot? Uh, she's very possibly listening to the radio now and nodding her head saying yes. Well, in that case, what happens is uh, you, you get an aphid which overwinters in the bay leaf. And as it's hatching its larvae, it leaves off this honeydew secretion, which is a stickiness which, which attaches itself to the leaf. And this black is a fungal spore. It's a fungal infection which uh, gets stuck to this honeydew. And it ends up covering the the whole plant with this black sooty appearance. Um, the the cure for it because it's a two pronged problem. If you like, you have the aphid and you have the fungus. The cure you need two things to do two things as well. So a good winter tree wash to get rid of the aphid will will help. Obviously, that will be during the winter. Uh, once you've done that, you've you've got rid of the cause of the problem, but you'll still have black leaves. So you do need to use a fungicide to kill the fungus as well. So at this time of the year. I'd use something like copper sulfate mixed with water, which is a good organic broad spectrum fungicide, which should kill off the, the black sooty appearance. Uh, and then in the winter, use an organic winter tree wash to get rid of any aphids, which might be overwintering in the plant. OK, and we've about two minutes left, Peter. So some of these questions might be uh, uh, quick questions for you. First of all, you recommend it there regarding vinegar and moss. Uh, just recap there for a listener who wants to know what was said. I didn't really recommend vinegar or salt from us, but the, 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 the question was, will they work? Salt, yes, it will work, but be very careful where, where the runoff of the salt and water will go to because it'll damage wherever it goes. Vinegar wouldn't be very effective for moss. No, it's just contact acting. OK, and Jaron Bandon, when is the right time to cut the robin's hedging? Uh, what's, is it a good time to do it now or should I wait? No, it's illegal to cut your hedges now in the Wildlife Protection Act, so you can't cut any hedges now. It's a good question at the right time of the year because with everybody out gardening, they might think they're doing the right thing, but be careful. There's a lot of birds nesting in hedges and shrubs at the moment, so be very careful pruning back at the moment. As I say, it's illegal to cut back your hedges now anyway. So the answer to the question, ideally you do it kind of before the end of February, just before the new growth starts. Failing that, which obviously we didn't do that this year, so September is your next time, and that's still a very a fine time to cut it back. So wait now till this September and cut it back then. Okay, and what's the best feed for Red Robin, says Noel? 
Again, the, the one I was talking about there earlier, the nature safe seaweed one, you can get liquid seaweed or the granular seaweed, but the nature safe, it's a Galway product. It's made from seaweed from Galway, but it's a brilliant, brilliant plant food. It's totally organic, totally plant based, and it's an excellent general purpose G up for your plants. Nature safe liquid seaweed or the granular seaweed. And very finally, uh, George wants to know when is the right time to spray roses in about 30 seconds? Uh, depends what you're spraying them for again the, the copper sulfate mixed with water I would spray them with that now as a preventative for a lot of the fungal infections and I want to just give a very quick shout out JP before you finish to Helen McCarthy and Don Manway she sent me in the most gorgeous or her daughter rather Elaine McGinnis sent me in the most gorgeous photograph of her garden looking now and I know she listens every Wednesday so hello to Helen Don Manway and the garden is a credit to you very good Peter thank you for that a lot of questions we didn't get to we'll hold them over for next week enjoy the remainder of your Wednesday Peter Doddle at theirishgardener.com we're back again tomorrow from 10 with Cork Today my thanks to Bernie and Sadie Nick Richards is next playing Cork's Greatest Hits from 2 I'm John Paul McNamara good afternoon Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.